Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Other children that we're going to dedicate. And it's a little different because these are some of our Ukrainian children. And so what we would invite is every Ukrainian who's here to come with us and stand with these families. Come up on the stage. Come quickly. Don't hesitate. We want all of you to come. Every Ukrainian. Every Ukrainian. Come. We have... Not only the 28 Ukrainians that we have helped come to the United States that are a part of celebration, but we have at least two and I think three other families of Ukrainians who are visiting us this weekend. So there are over 40 who are here. Some who haven't seen each other until right now. Let me first say thank you to to the happy Ukrainians. Who? Stan, come here. Stanislav, come here. No, all Ukrainians are required to be here. First, let me say thank you to all of you who have helped who have helped bring all these folks to the United States. I've never had to flee my home. I've never had to go to another country unless I wanted to go. Their journey's been very different. But we've been honored to serve all of you. Even one of the families that's here, the Yurtayevs, live in Florida, but People here in celebration helped them with coming to the United States and getting work authorizations and things like that. But we do want to dedicate three children. And we'll start with the Potopinkos, if you will come forward. Come up here. Come, Vitaly. This is Vitaly and Christina Potopinko, and they're from Kharkiv. Ukraine, and today they are dedicating two of their children. Their oldest son, Ilya, is here, but they are dedicating Evelina and Nana. And I don't know what it would be like to leave my home and throw my children into a car without taking anything with us and drive to other countries and then go across the world. But what I've seen in them and all the Ukrainians that I've gotten to know is an extraordinary faith. A faith that has been resilient, that has carried them. And so in dedicating their children, we not only wanna set them apart for service to the Lord, but to pray for their family, that God would heal their wounds, restore their soul, and bless them in every way. So will you pray with me? 
Lord, we thank you for Evelina, that you have given her a spirit that wants to worship you and know you and walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon her, that she would walk with you in every way, every journey that you have for her in life, that she wouldn't live in any fear, that she would trust you at all times, that you would fill her afresh with your spirit, that she would always be one who displays your glory. And for Nana, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon her, that you would take away any fear, any trauma in her life, heal her heart, give her peace in her soul, that she would know you from a young age, that she would walk with you, glorify you. For Christina and Vitali and Ilya, we pray your blessings upon them as a family. We pray healing in their hearts and their souls. Pray you would pour out abundantly upon them your blessings and your goodness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you guys will come forward. These are the Schumachers. This is Sergey and Victoria and Natan and Yale. And this little one is Bella. Now, the first time I ever saw the Schumachers was in the Knoxville airport. And they had flown from Italy to Washington, D.C., gotten delayed an entire day because of weather, were exhausted, showed up in the airport, and Victoria was seven months pregnant. Can you imagine having to flee their home? She's pregnant, travel across the world. and It's a tough journey, but God's been good. And Bella was born on what day was that? September 26th. And uh, she is an American citizen, as well as... a citizen of Ukraine. And we are thankful that she has safely arrived in this world as a blessing. And I'm going to pray for the Schumachers and then they're gonna pray as well. Lord, we do thank you for Bella. We thank you that you brought her into this country and into this world, that you have plans and purposes for her. We pray, Lord, that she would be physically strong and healthy all the days of her life, that no weapon formed against her could ever come to fruition, that you would guard over and protect her in every day, that she would know you and walk with you, be filled with your Holy Spirit. We pray for all the Schumachers, Lord, that your blessings would be upon them, your healing upon their hearts and souls, and spirits and your blessings upon them. And we do pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And if you would like to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for my baby. Thank you, Amen. George. 
Thank you, church. Thank you, pastor. And thank you, Jesus, for my baby. Мы молимся сегодня тому, кто благословил наших отцов, Авраама, Исаака, Якова, Давида, Соломона. И мы благословляем просто этим благословением сегодня Беллу, Адель. И мы верим также, что, как и про отцов наших, он благословит сегодня ее во имя Иисуса Христа. Аминь. I uh, know that several of you have said that it has been a, a blessing to you in some way or another, but actually I think we have been blessed the most, honored to have you here, honored to serve you, and I want to pray for you. Lord, we pray for every one of these persons, from the youngest to the oldest, that your Holy Spirit would fill them afresh that they would know you in a deeper way than they've ever known in their entire lives, that they would recognize your goodness, your protection, your provision, even in the midst of war. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill them with new gifts, new blessings. I pray against any spirit of Satan that would try to harm their hearts, their souls, that you would heal them from the trauma they've been through, that you would pour special blessings into them. Just pray your Holy Spirit would wash over each and every person here. And I pray this by the authority and the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I want to introduce you to this gentleman. This is Alex Yagolnik, who's he's from Kharkiv, Ukraine, and he was able to get out of the country on his own, but Alex has been the person through whom we have worked to bring all these other people here. But because he cared enough about his friends and extended family to do what he could to help them. So we're very thankful for Alex. And I'm thankful that Alex is going to teach me how to grow hair like that. I just, I, I want to know. I want to know. I so, special anointing for that, he said. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> the anointing for that. Whew. It is a good thing what God has done to protect them. I wish we could take care of each and every one who's had to flee their home. 
But it's the nature of God to show his hand even in hardship. There's one pastor that many of them know and then another pastor that I know in Ukraine and I keep getting reports from them and their reports are always about God providing, God taking care of, even in the midst of devastation. And you know, really, that's the nature of God in all aspects of life, that he's good, no matter what you go through, no matter how hard it might be, he has a way of showing you that he's there, that he cares, that he loves you, that he will take care of you. Even if everyone lets you down, if all else fails, he will be with you. And so what we were talking about last week was water. We have been for a couple of weeks. And I mentioned that water is prevalent everywhere in the world, in our bodies, in all things, everything's dependent upon it. And that's no mistake. I am becoming more and more convinced all the time that the minute details of life are things that God has created to reveal to us something about himself. And he's created a world in which water is so essential, it's necessary for us just to survive, and then likened himself to water to say that we are in desperate need of him, that we are to thirst for him. The scripture that we looked at last week in the Psalms says that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my soul thirsts for you. And I am convinced that there are many things that God allows in this life that oftentimes we wish he would not allow, but he allows them in order that our soul would thirst for him. That we would desire with all of our hearts to know him. And it's very easy, particularly as a young person, to look at the world and think all these are the important things of life. Just look at the landscape of the world and I must do this, accomplish whatever, acquire things, and not realize you could gain the whole world but forfeit your soul. And God has allowed in this world many things that might frustrate your personal plans, but what they do is cause you to seek him or harden your heart and turn away. And for those who have turned their hearts toward God, who seek him, even in the things of uncertainty and not knowing, he says, come to me, thirst for me, and know that you'll find life and in life in him and him alone. The scripture also says this, in Matthew, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, you do not naturally hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your flesh naturally hungers and thirsts for selfish desires that are pleasing to your sinful nature. But once you come to know him and recognize who he is and his spirit dwells within you richly, there's a growing hunger and thirst that comes from the spirit of God to know him and to be like him in all things. And that's where the living water that is Christ imparts life to you that you might be like him. 
Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to him and drink. And he who believes in Christ, that flowing from him would be streams of living water, that they would flow out of your very soul. And he says clearly, by this he meant the Holy Spirit, that Christ knows every person who has called upon him. And what he does is impart his spirit to each person who humbles themselves enough to say, Lord, I want to know you. And at any moment in time, God knows throughout the entire world every person in whom his Holy Spirit dwells. Every single one. And he knows the details of your life. He knows the inmost thoughts, the secret things of your heart. I think he knows our hearts better than we know them because sometimes he has revealed things to me about my own heart that I had not recognized. And you see, what he's doing all of the time by his spirit for every person who has called upon his name is he is imparting life to you. That he is the fountain of living water. That every single day, just like I need water to drink, I need to drink from the fountain that is Christ. That I need to thirst and hunger for him, that he would pour life into me, that I might likewise be a fountain for others. And so in talking about water over the last couple of weeks, we're really talking about that Christ desires to flood our souls with his being, to fill us, to renew us, that we might in turn be ones for whom others come, to whom others come, to be refreshed and nourished themselves. In fact, I was talking with some of the Ukrainians recently and learned that they were trying to send money or other help back to some of their friends and family who are still in Ukraine or maybe out of Ukraine and in other parts of the world. And that they realized that God has provided, protected, cared for them and even in the midst of that, they can be a fountain of living water to others. And really that should be the heart of all of us. Quite frankly, sometimes in my soul, I am embarrassed by the abundance that I have. And I really hope God brings you to a conviction about that. If you live in abundance, that he would give you a sense of embarrassment that it would spur you to greater generosity. That out of the overflow that he has given you, you would become extraordinarily generous with every part of your being. Now what I wanna talk about this week goes right along with the, the teaching about water. In fact, we could call this the bread and water series, the most basic sustenance. That you can survive for quite a while on just bread and water. Now people sometimes wonder how I go about planning teachings and some have a misperception. Some think that I have teachings planned out for the next two years for every week and all those kinds of things and I learned in seminary exactly what you're supposed to teach and so forth and 
No, that is not it. In fact, you know the scripture that says, do not worry about tomorrow, that today has enough to worry about? I think that's how the Lord works with me about preparing scriptures, or preparing teachings. That he doesn't let me get very far ahead, because if I did, if I had it all planned out for a year, what would happen? I would be dependent upon me. That he only lets me go so far so that I will be dependent upon him. And how I go about preparing any given teaching varies. Sometimes I re- I'm reading a scripture and something just jumps out and I know that's what I'm supposed to teach about. Sometimes I've actually heard somebody else in a conversation and one thing that they said, I'm like, oh. And I realize the Spirit says, you need to talk about that. Sometimes I think the Lord takes me to a scripture, I read it, think he wants me to teach about it, and I have no idea what to teach. It might be one of those Old Testament ones like Leviticus or somewhere where you go, I don't know how to teach this. But eventually what happens? He says, here's what we're talking about. But here's one of the more interesting ways. It seems that God speaks to me through his spirit often when I am half asleep. Not at the wheel, but literally, this happens to me often. I'll be waking up in the morning, and before my feet hit the ground, boom, I know the Lord has just said something to me. And that's what happened with this teaching. A few days back, I was waking up, and before I got out of bed, before I even began to rise, the bread of life was in my mind. And before my feet hit the ground, I knew the Lord wanted me to talk about it. So that's why we're talking about the bread. Now it's interesting, bread is like water when you look at the scripture. There are many, many, many examples of bread being important in scripture. And again, I think God is saying something to us through this. I want to go to the scripture in Matthew. This is where Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, it's interesting, I think, that we live in a world that is increasingly becoming a spiritual desert. Now, the world has increased in abundance of material things and a lot of technological things, but spiritually, I think it is increasingly a dry and weary land, a desert. And this, of course, is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been baptized. God the Father has basically put his blessing upon him. And it says that the Spirit led him immediately into the desert to be tempted. Now, why? I don't know. There are a lot of things in this world that I do not have the answer to, and when I get to heaven, I am not going to ask any questions. You know, I've said before, I think a lot of people have this haughty idea that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God a few things. I am not. In fact, I'm fairly certain you're going to be like the kid who did not read the homework assignment the next day in class who's sitting there going, please don't call on me, please don't call on me. Because if God says, Who would like to explain how the stars were hung in the sky? I'm going to be like, no, don't call on me. I don't know. And I don't understand why God allowed Satan to have authority in this realm. I have some inkling of understanding, but I don't 
fully understand. But the scripture makes it quite clear that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. That if he had the authority to tempt Jesus, even to offer to him the kingdoms of this land, there's some authority that he clearly has. And if you look at the landscape of the world, not only today, but throughout history, it's quite clear that Satan has been quite effective in working evil on a grand scale. There's a lot that I don't understand about why God would allow that, but I do recognize that in the backdrop of the evil of this world, we can see the righteousness of God. And I think he has allowed evil in order to give us the contrast in order in, that we may choose whether we will follow him or follow after ourselves and follow after evil. That the demonic is real, the spiritual war is real, but for those who call upon him and have eyes to see, you can discern the battle that you're in and you have victory over it by the authority of the name of Jesus. The delegated authority that he has given us to proclaim his name against the darkness. But for some reason, Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted. Now that raises the question, could Jesus be tempted? And the answer is no and yes, or yes and no. Because on the one hand, he's fully God, he's righteous, pure, and holy. Could anything tempt him? No. God is never tempted to sin, never tempted to walk out of his character. In other words, for him to even think about the possibility of sin would be an impossibility because of who he is. So could he be tempted as God? No. But he's fully man. He has fasted for 40 days. He's hungry. Is the physical temptation one that is real? The answer is yes. But does it have any power, any sway, any authority over Jesus? The answer is no. So the scripture says that he has faced all the temptations that you and I face, but he was without sin. Because in his character, even though a temptation could come before him in his path, it had no influence, no ability to sway him. But temptation can sway you and I pretty easily, can it not? This is why a person must be on guard all of the time. That there's never a time when you can let your guard down. Because have you ever been through a season where you're like, I'm not going to eat chocolate something or other or any chocolate for a season. Then you go to somebody's house, you're having dinner with you. Afterwards, they bring out the chocolate dessert and you fall prey to it. In your heart, you're going, I'm not going to eat that. I'm gonna, I'll take a slice. Well, the soul is sort of like that. Enough temptation before you, you'll fall prey. But for Christ, no. And so it says that Satan came to him, tempted him, and said, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. In other words, he says, I know you're hungry. And if you're the son of God, if you're really the Messiah, the one who was to come, prove it. Prove that you have power. So the temptation that would exist for you and I would be pride to prove that we are something. But Jesus responded, he said, it's written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's interesting that he used the term bread here. Now I don't think he's talking about just 
bread itself, but talking about all of the things that you and I consume physically to nourish our body. That we don't live just by the things that we consume physically, but we really live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I, I believe that the vast majority of the people in the world do not understand that scripture. And a lot of Christians don't either. We think about, we might be very careful about the things that we eat, but we don't think about the things that nourish our soul and our spirit. In fact, over the years, I've known some people who were very um, uh, health conscious. Maybe they competed in some vigorous athletic event like a triathlon or something like that. And so they, they only ate very specific things. They wouldn't eat things that would undermine their ability to perform physically. They were very careful about it. They worked out very consistently. They looked like they were in great physical shape. But there are people like that who take great precautions with their physical nourishment who are consuming things that are terrible, rotten, so to speak, for their soul and their spirit. See, because what you take in in your physical body nourishes you, what you drink and eat. But what you take in through all of your senses, through your sight, through your hearing, even the things that you touch and experience, everything that you take in through your senses affects your soul and your spirit. Your soul's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's where you make choices. It's the you that makes you distinct. And so the question that I would ask in this teaching is, not only what are you doing with regard to nourishing your body, what, are, what is the physical bread that you are taking into your soul, and how good are you doing with that? Are you managing that well? But more importantly, what is feeding your soul and your spirit? Maybe you haven't even thought about that very much. What is it that you're taking in that affects your thoughts, affects your emotions, that is nourishing your soul and your spirit? Because, see, I believe there are a lot of people, Christian people, who are genuine in that they believe, but what they are consuming in their soul and their spirit is actually at odds with walking with Christ. Now, I believe you and I live in a very, very unique time. In fact, there's never been any like it. It's very different from most of history. For most of history, people couldn't fly around the world, communicate instantaneously. In fact, yesterday, my wife and I had a, had a WhatsApp face-to-face -face conversation with our daughter in Scotland. Throughout most of history, that was impossible. Throughout most of history, people just live to meet their specific needs, their physical needs, to have food, clothing, and shelter. They did that day in and day out. They couldn't store up very far in advance. They might store up for one winter season to make it through that, but then they would be back for the next season just meeting needs day by day. And it's interesting, if you think about, say, 150 years ago, in just about any part of the world, 
people were just mostly agrarian, living in some agricultural setting, trying to survive. And think about it like this. If you lived in this country, or that matter, any other country, 150 years ago, in any given day, how many times would you see something violent? Now, if you had gone off to war, you might see that. You might see your brothers get in a fight on the farm sometime. You might have been a part of it. But those kinds of incidences would probably have been fairly rare. Or how many times would you see sexual perversion in those days? You could probably go for very, very long periods of time without anything along that line. But today, unless you are intentional about avoiding those things, it's hard to go a single day without encountering them. Because they're everywhere prevalent in the culture all around us. And you see, whether you realize it or not, those things affect your soul and your spirit. There are a lot of people who naively think that I can let anything into my mind, into my soul, and it has no impact. I saw this back when I was a college professor. It was so clear to me how naive young people were about that very issue that they could let anything into their mind and they would think, ah, it doesn't matter. Like, they would say something that, let's say, for example, that you watched horror movies week in and week out. That is going to impact your soul. It's gonna impact you with how you think, with fear, with other things. For example, just the other day, I was playing pickleball with a gentleman and uh, he knows I'm a pastor and he doesn't go to church here, but he... Uh, he said, hey, did you watch this movie on Netflix? Did you watch Netflix? I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. He said, oh, you, you should see this. It's, it's got this priest in it, and it's, it does all these weird things. It's really gory, and all this is killing. And he just goes on to describe it. I'm thinking, yuck. And then he said, I can't get it out of my mind. That's what he said. Well, see, what had happened was it had impacted his soul and his spirit. It was rolling around in his mind in an unhealthy way. And see, the question I'm asking you is, are you intentionally bringing things into your soul, into your spirit, that are building you up in the innermost being, or are you allowing things into your mind, into your emotions, that are undermining your walk with Christ? My concern is that most Christians are not on guard properly in this arena that we are allowing many, many things into our souls that are not holy and good. You know, the scripture says, whatever is lovely and holy and good, think upon these things. Dwell upon these things. If it's good, dwell upon that. But if it's of the evil of this world, if you're consuming that like you're consuming the bread that's physical it's not going to nourish your soul and it's true that man does not live by bread alone he says but by every word that comes from the mouth of God 
Do you realize that every ounce of truth that has ever penetrated your soul is what gives you the ability to live? Whether you gain that truth from some other person, from studying for yourself, from the Holy Spirit speaking to you, every ounce of truth that has penetrated your soul, become part of who you are, that is what gives you the impetus and understanding to live. Every lie that has penetrated your soul is pulling away from you life. You see, if I'm feeding upon truth, the truth that is Christ, that comes from him, the truth about how this world works, about how he works, then it's building my soul up. But if I feed upon lies and deception, it will drain my soul of life. The question is, which are you doing? Now, if we jump over to the New Testament in Corinthians, there's this scripture that says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us keep the festival, not the old yeast, but with the yeast, not with the yeast of malice or wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now again, and if you'll do a study on this, you'll find that bread shows up in a lot of different ways to tell us something about the nature of Christ. And in this case, to understand this scripture, you must understand what happened in the Old Testament with regard to the Israelites. Because this story is about the Passover lamb. And of course, that goes back to when the Israelites had gone down to Egypt originally as simply a family when Joseph was there. They'd been there 400 years and multiplied greatly. What we think of as the Jewish people is really just trace them back to one family. And what God did was he selected one family and said, I'm going to use them in a special way to model to the rest of the world what everybody needs to understand. The cost of being a Jewish person throughout history has meant oftentimes persecution, perhaps more so than any other family. But they were in Egypt. They were slaves in bondage. And then at the right time, God said enough. He raised up Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And if you know the stories, you know that the Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. And then there were a variety of plagues and so forth. And Pharaoh would first say he was going to let them go, and then he wouldn't, and so forth. And finally, there came the judgment. You know, there's a very, very interesting scripture with regard to Pharaoh, because in that series of plagues, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But eventually, the scripture changes and says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think there's a great truth there to understand that you and I make choices in our will anytime we reject God, that's a hardening of the heart. Anytime we reject something of God, disobey his will, that's a hardening of your heart. And God will always call you back. He'll always call you to repentance. He'll do so over and over and over. But eventually there is a time for any person where you've gone too far. You've hardened your own heart. God says, enough, and says, away from me, I never knew you. And every person must be aware of that reality, that in this life, I make a choice that has eternal destiny associated with it. 
But in the case of the Israelites, they're in Egypt. God raises up Moses. The final judgment's coming, and it's the judgment of death upon the firstborn in Egypt. The firstborn of every household, the firstborn of every animal in that household would die in this judgment. Now, there is a lot about that that is telling us something about the nature of the world, the nature of Christ, and the nature of how God works. Because the Israelites were told to do something. They were told to take a lamb, slaughter it, take the blood, and put it over the doorpost of their homes. Every Jewish family was to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their homes, and then when the angel of death that would take the firstborn would come along, that the angel of death would pass over that home. That's why it's called the Passover. And see, all of that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. That any person who has called upon the name of the Lord and accepted him into their lives, that the blood shed by Christ becomes, becomes the covering for our sin. The scripture calls it the propitiation, that it takes away the sin of every person. And that blood is what gives you and I righteousness and holiness. There's nothing you and I can do to make ourselves good. It's all by the work of Christ. And you see... The, the death that passed over there, it's talking about the second death, essentially, that you and I could face. Every human being will die physically. But the second death, the scripture records, is when you are rejected by God for not having accepted Christ. That if you have accepted Christ and you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, you don't fear the second death. You, it has no authority over you because of the blood of the Lamb. The angel of death had no authority over those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And as a part of celebrating the blood of the lamb, they were to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. And that's why it says, let us keep the festival, not with sinful things, but with the bread of sincerity and truth. The festival of unleavened bread was that they were to take the lamb that had been slaughtered, they were to roast it, and they were to consume it, to eat it all, they were to eat it with bread without yeast, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs. Those three things. And you see, the lamb that is slaughtered is Christ. Jesus said to the disciples the night before he was slain, he said, this is my body broken for you, talking about what? Bread. Likening it to his body, being consumed, just like the Israelites would consume the lamb slain for them. And then, in this regard, in celebrating the festival, they would eat unleavened bread. Yeast would cause the bread to, to rise. Yeast, in Scripture, is likened to sin. So bread without yeast was without sin. They were to eat the bread that is sinless, so to speak, which is Christ and Christ alone. And then they were to eat bitter herbs, which there's some debate about what does that exactly mean, but it probably meant something about the sinfulness of humanity placed upon Christ at the cross, this bitter thing that he must taste. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me. The cup that he's going to bear is a very, very bitter cup. But the Passover lamb was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. The unleavened bread was likewise talking about his life. When you and I celebrate communion, the Eucharist, when we drink from the cup, we are drinking 
what is a representation of the blood of Christ. When we eat from the bread, we are eating that which is a representation of the life of Christ. And you see, what Jesus is really saying, if you want life, you must eat from the bread of life. See, in this age, it is so difficult to stay focused upon living a godly life. It is. There are so many things that attack your mind. You know, it's wonderful what technology has provided in many ways that I can pull up the scripture out of my phone and read it anytime I want to. I can talk to my daughter in another country anytime I want to, something like that. But simultaneously, that which has provided all these good possibilities to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth creates an opportunity for things to come into your soul that will damage your soul deeply. And you must be very intentional about what you consume. The bread of life is Christ. It's the word of truth. It is the word of God. The more you feed upon him, upon his truth, the more your soul is nourished and you have life. And God is the one who always provides. Another Old Testament story is this one in Exodus. It's about the manna. Where once they came out of Egypt, they didn't go straight into the promised land because of unbelief. They wandered around in the wilderness until such time as an entire generation died off. And there in the wilderness, after their grumbling and so forth, God provided for them bread from heaven, what we refer to as manna. We don't know exactly what it was like, but it would appear every morning like a morning dew. It was like a flake or a bread of some way, not frosted flakes. I'm sure it was more nutritious. But it had some interesting characteristics that by the end of the day, it would waste away. And they were told to gather enough just for that day, and God would even test them in that to see if they would follow his instructions that they were together just enough for that day, but on the sixth day, they were to prepare extra for the seventh day because that was the day of the Sabbath when they were to rest. But it's interesting that God would provide for them just enough for that day. Now, could God have said, okay, look, I'm gonna give you a six-month supply. Don't bother me anymore. I mean, he could have. He could have said, look, there's a six-month supply. Go collect all that. Take care of it. Don't bother me. Instead, he said, just enough for each day. And really, I think too often humans, we get too caught up about the future. What am I going to do in this time frame? What's going to happen then? How am I going to take care of this? And so forth and so on. When God is saying, just today. Trust me for today. Focus upon the day. Drink from the fountain that is the spirit today. Eat from the bread of life that is Christ today. That he is, his provision is perfect and complete for the days ahead. But he's with you right now in this moment. You know, time is an interesting thing because what we remember gives us context in which to make decisions. It's how we learn and grow. It's amazing, really, what capacity God has given us. And that sequence of time allows us to have understanding of it. We tend to think about the future, but actually, most of our thoughts about the future are wrong, are they not? 
what you think will happen, how it will be, how it will work out, usually you're wrong. It's going to be different. And in fact, isn't it true that in the days of your life, there have been countless things that you could not have fathomed, could not have perceived ahead of time, that came into your life that were both trials and difficulties and abundant blessings? I mean, it's just the nature of life. There are many, many things that come into your life that you cannot perceive ahead of time that God's going to allow into your life that sometimes they are trials designed to make you more like Christ. Sometimes they are abundant blessings just for him to say to you, I love you and my love for you is overflowing. It's abundant. It's rich. This is something that I have had a very hard time with in my own life of understanding how abundant and rich is the love of God. And there are a lot of different reasons for that, things that I'd seen earlier in life, my own sinfulness, my own sense of unworthiness to be blessed by God. To see how rich is his love over these years is just extraordinary. It's his nature to provide for you each day just what you need. You know, when Jesus was asked, how should we pray? Well, as a part of that prayer, he said, give us today, just today, our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, I don't think he meant there just your physical bread. I think he meant when you are praying, it's Lord, give me today every ounce of nourishment I need for my body, my soul, and my spirit. See, this is why we should not forsake gathering together as a church or a church body, being with other believers, because, you see, when we come together, we worship together, we fellowship with one another, it builds up your spirit. It builds up your soul. It's just like when people started clapping for all the Ukrainians coming up here, it was encouraging to every soul in this room, was it not? To them and to us. And see, God provides what we need each day, the sustenance of our body, our soul, and our spirit. But you and I have a will. We can make choices. We don't have to consume what he provides. But this, the scripture says, hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means hunger and thirst for him. He is the bread of life. Now I ask you again, what are you consuming to nourish your body, your soul, and your spirit? You know, one of the things that I really, really love is I love to listen to other pastors. I do. I like to listen to other people speak about truth. And I don't care what their style is. There's some people that I listen to sometimes that their style of teaching is not really something that I really enjoy, but I learn from them anyway. Now, sometimes I've started listening to somebody or reading something that I thought was of Christ, and pretty soon my spirit was like, uh-oh, that is not good. But if they teach the truth, it nourishes my soul. That's why I like somebody like David Jeremiah that I really respect because he's, he's been at it for so long. He's so consistent. I don't agree with him about everything. But I agree with him about the fundamentals, and oftentimes I learn something from him that I did not know. 
And you see, whenever I listen to that type of teaching, what is it doing? It's nourishing my soul, my spirit. You may not think of it, but, but when we come together to, to worship and to explore scripture, what you're doing is nourishing your soul and your spirit. And we live in an age in which our soul is desperate for that. Our spirit is desperate for the nourishment that comes from Christ. But when you're around somebody who is very, very spiritually fit, you know it. You, when you're around somebody who is consuming the bread of life, who's walking in the living water of Christ, who out of them flows rivers of living water. When you're around such a person, you know it. Because you're able to drink from the fountain that is flowing from them. You're able to consume from the riches that is flowing from them. And you see, they didn't get that way by eating fast food. They got that way by consuming of the life of Christ over a long period of time. By knowing him, walking with him, trusting him, being fed by him in order that they might feed others. Now, I'm going to talk about bread next week as well. Because he is the bread of life. But here we are, it's Thanksgiving. A time to celebrate. More than likely, there'll be a lot of bread on your tables. And I pray that as you look at that bread and you begin to consume of it, you think of Christ above all. That he is your provider, your protector. That while we have a lot to be thankful for above all, we are thankful for him. That he died to take away the sin of the world. That anyone who would call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for providing nourishment for our souls every day. That you meet the needs of all of us even in desperate times. And you don't just meet our needs, but you pour out your abundance of love upon us. I pray this week, Lord, that we would all have hearts that are especially thankful because of your goodness and your grace. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.